Welcome again to the IDS Hour. I'm your host, Paul Honeycutt, joined by Jeff Walker. Jeff, this is our second episode in what I think will be a thrilling topic, and that is the end times. Last week, we talked about how do we interpret Scripture, fundamentally the old through the lens of the new. Today, we're going to talk about a key point or a key issue in end times, and that is the millennium. Now, it wasn't a starship or something out of Star Wars. It's an actual event or, or, or uh, a topic within Scripture. So what is the millennium? How are we to understand it? And how do we know? Okay, let's turn to Revelation chapter 20 because okay. that discusses the millennium. But the millennium is described as a thousand-year period. And we have three competing views, basically, okay. about that. This is where we'll just give a brief introduction into the, the three competing views of how end times works itself out. They are premillennialism, postmillennialism, amillennialism. So premillennialism says that after Jesus comes back, there is a he reigns from Jerusalem for a thousand years. At the end of that thousand years there is a rebellion, he squashes the rebellion and then the present heavens and earth are destroyed, and he ushers in the new heavens and new earth. And every all the believers have glorified bodies. Okay, so you have, that's a dispensational view, premillennialism. Jesus comes before the literal thousand-year millennium. Now, you have postmillennialism. It's a different view, is that, and you have two different versions of this, basic versions of it. One is that, that the gospel... Is uh, so is so believed all over the world. Not that everybody becomes a believer, but so many become believers that the world is Christianized. Mm-hmm. This golden age happens, and at the end of the golden age, that's the millennium. Jesus returns. Okay, Jesus returns. So Jesus comes after a physical, a, a literal time, mm-hmm. a golden age on the earth, the millennium. Okay. Then the third view, ah, millennialism, ah, meaning no, meaning no literal physical millennium. They do believe, ah, millennialism believes in a millennium, but in a spiritual millennium. And there's a couple of different views, but the majority view, the one we espouse, because if we had white hats, we'd put those mm-hmm. on, of course, uh, is that when believers die, they go be with the Lord. And they reign with Christ. So that is a spiritual millennium. And that takes place before the second coming. So from, from the time Jesus is, you know, his first coming to his second coming, when believers die, they go be with the Lord. They reign with Christ. That's a spiritual millennium. Then at the end of that, there's a, there's a great battle. Jesus comes back and he, and he destroys all the bad guys. And the present heavens and earth are destroyed. And we get a new heavens and earth. And okay. So that's the idea. So, you so, have, the, so the pre- and post-millennialists would believe in a pretty much literal thousand years. Yes, yes. Now when you say, is it going to be actually a thousand mm-hmm. years, you have difference of opinion within pre-millennialism. I think the majority, especially dispensational version of pre-millennialism, mm-hmm. would tend to think it's actual thousand mm-hmm. years. The post, not necessarily, just a length of time, a golden age. Okay, got it. Okay, so you have that. So and and of course the place the only place where it's found is in Revelation chapter twenty, and where it says 
and we'll pick it up. Uh, let's see where 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 we want to go so that I don't want to read too much. Okay, we'll pick it up. Well, just chapter twenty, verse one. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who was the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Ah. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations any more until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. Uh, you know, so I, I saw the thrones of the, uh, on, on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or on their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Okay. Now, so this is where you find it. So how do we determine when the millennium, the the thousand years, is taking place? Okay. I think, and this is the perspective that uh, we are going to talk about, I think that the actual literary structure of the book of Revelation tells us the answer to this question. And so let's turn to Revelation chapter 16. Well, actually, we're we're going to go back um, a little farther than that. In, in just a very brief sort of way. We're going to t- talk about, there are three sets of sevens in the book of Revelation. The seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. Right. Okay. Now, my point is that just looking at these, the seven seals, okay, and if you picked up the seventh seal, that would be, um, pick it up for you, where are we at here? Uh, Now, that would be in uh, Revelation chapter 6, because the sixth seal, sixth seal, it says, I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like a sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red, and the stars in the sky fell to earth as figs dropped from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich and mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For great, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can withstand it? This is the second coming. So the sixth seal... Is about the second coming. Now, the seventh seal introduces the seven trumpets. Mm-hmm. Okay? So then, we want to get to the seventh trumpet. Okay? So now, we're going to go pick it up. And let's see here. The, the trumpets start uh, in uh, chapter 8. And we're going to work our way over to the uh, chapter 9. Actually, actually, there is an interlude of chapter 10, 11, and chapter uh, 15 says, uh, chapter 11, verse 15 says this, the seventh trumpet. 
The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there was there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who were seated on the thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give you thanks, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry, and all your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your people who revere your name, both small, great and small, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. And then God's temple in heaven was opened. Within his temple was seen the Ark of the Covenant, and there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a severe hailstorm. Okay, the point is, is now with the seventh trumpet, it's once again, I think it's the second coming. Same thing. So you have in the sixth seal, second coming, the seventh trumpet, the second coming. And then if you go to the seven bowls, which is where we are going next, which is in chapter 16, and go to the seventh bowl, and we're not. And our point here is not to get into the intricacies of the seals, mm-hmm. trumpets, and bowls. But the seventh bowl says in chapter sixteen, verse seventeen, the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, "It is done." There came fl- flashes of lightning, rumbles, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since mankind has been on earth. So tremendous was the earthquake. The great city split into three parts and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup of filled with his, the wine of his fury, of his wrath. Every fl- island fled away and the mountains could not be found from the sky. Huge hailstones each way about a hundred pounds fell on people and they cursed God on account of the plague of hail because the plague was so terrible. Oh. Now, I should say, is the um, right before the announcement of the seventh bowl, verse 16 says, And then they gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew was called Armageddon. So once again, we saw this in... We see this in, in the seals, trumpets, and bowls that they all finish with the second coming. Now, something we need to think about. In the book of Revelation, these three, we'll call them characters, uh, are introduced in this order. Satan, and then the two beasts, the ones out of the sea and the ones out of the ground, and then Babylon, mm-hmm. the whore. Okay. Well, beginning in chapter 16, the order is reversed, And now we're going to talk about the fall of Babylon, then the fall of the two beasts, then the fall of Satan. Mm -hmm. So the first one is 16 through 18 is the fall of Babylon. So in the sixth bowl where they're talking about the second coming, remember the second coming is always there's, there's a great battle, the bad guys get killed, Jesus returns. Okay? When, when Jesus returns. Well, here we are in 16, and now they, beginning with chapter 17, they talk about Babylon. 17 and 18, the fall of Babylon. When the second coming takes place, Babylon falls. Now, I think Babylon refers to the world system, but, but for our purposes, we're not going to get into that. But that's the idea. So, 
In 16, you have the fall of Babylon. This takes place after a great battle, Armageddon, and, and Jesus returns and he destroys everybody. Okay. So now go to 19. Go to chapter 19. Now this, beginning at verse 11, this would be, at least from my background as a believer, this is always the place we go first to talk about the second coming. Mm-hmm. Where it says, I, verse 11, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider was called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has the name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood. His name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword, with which he strikes down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe is written, and on his thigh he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried out in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, Come, gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and the mighty of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and small, free and slave, great and small. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider and all and the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who was the second beast, who had performed the signs on his behalf. With his signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse. And all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh." So, second coming is a great battle. The bad guys all get killed. Okay, that's when Jesus returns. So now, in chapter 20, now we have, look at verse 7. When the thousand years are over, Satan, nah, so we have the fall of Babylon, the two beasts, and now Satan. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison, and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them in battle. Ah, once again, great battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them, so they're all destroyed again. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Oh. So now, here, same thing. The same thing happened. Now, the discussion of the millennium takes place in chapter 20, verses 1 through 6 before this. Okay, so what we saw is that in 16 through 18, we have the fall of Babylon, which is the seventh bowl second coming, great battle, Jesus returns, he destroys all the enemies. 19, we see Jesus, once again, great battle, Jesus returns, destroys all the enemies. 20, that's the fall of the two beasts. And now 20 is the fall of Satan, great battle, Jesus destroys all, all the enemies. Okay, 
and, and that's his his return. What we see is the fall of Babylon, the two beasts, Satan. It's actually all the same event. Mm. It's just looking at it from three different perspectives. It's not chronological. It's not like a uh, this is not like a newspaper account. Mm-hmm. These are three scenes, like in a play, all but they're all saying the same thing, but from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. So, sixteen through eighteen, the perspective of the fall of Babylon at the second coming, great battle, bad guys get all destroyed. Nineteen, fall of the two beasts, great battle, second coming, the two beasts get destroyed. Twenty, the fall of Satan, great battle. Bad guy gets destroyed. Jesus returns. Okay, and, but this takes place after the millennium in Revelation 20. So if that is true, of course, I think that the literary structure there of of that portion of of the book of Revelation from 16 to 20 uh, describes the end times from three different perspectives, Mm -hmm. fall of Babylon, two beasts, Satan, then that necessarily puts the millennium before the second coming, mm-hmm. which means it has to be taking place now, which would be the amillennial point of view that it's not a literal physical millennium period of time. It's it, we would say it's a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual millennium. So that's that's the basic scheme. Mm-hmm. So what are your thoughts? Well, the one question which, which I know I've heard many times and would come up is that. With, in, in Revelation 20, the first uh, six, uh, six verses, rather, it talks about he's seizing the dragon, the, the ancient serpent, devil, Satan, and he's bound for that thousand years. What does that mean? In what uh, sense is he bound? Ah, now see here, Paul and I do not choreograph all of our discussion ahead of time. Uh, <laughs> I thought, okay, I think that is a crucial thing to discuss. Right. But I want to give... All, all the more time sure, to it. So let's right. let me punt on that one. But we will come back to that. The uh, the binding of Satan. Right. We'll come back to that right. if we could, because I think there's a whole lot to be said about that. That is important. Right. So we do need to do that. Well, and if we are talking about the uh, the thousand years, the millennium, what you know, whatever phrase you want to use, how do the pre and post guys? How do they then explain this? I mean, they have the same book of Revelation we do. How, why why don't they see this? Well, and we're not, because we're talking about a difference of opinion among belie- believing mm-hmm. teachers. And we always always want to remember that this is not a gospel issue. Right. So, um, and there, it, it, it depends. Example, like our dispensational brothers, they would always say, no, no, uh, it's all about Israel. Mm-hmm. at the end well because of how they on those prophecies regarding Israel they interpret the new through the lens of the old with regard to those and I would agree if you do it that way mm-hmm. you will end up where they are and I just think that's incorrect in light of the, of the New Testament so I think um, that it's so important to talk about the basic ways we we handle scripture. And, you know, th- someone like um, R.C. Sproul, who's mm. now with the Lord, and I've always, he came from Western Pennsylvania, we're always fascinated with R.C. and loved mm. him as a teacher. But he, he embraced covenant theology and infant baptism. And uh, as a 
former Presbyterian pastor who once held to infant baptism, then I changed. So, you know, I, I, um, I don't agree with him. But R.C. was a wonderful thinker, but I think he illustrated if you start at a wrong starting point mm. and think impeccably, which he is a very impeccable thinker, mm-hmm. you end up in a wrong conclusion. So, example, for him, I think he saw Israel as the church in the Old Testament. And, of course, uh, the sign of the people of God was circumcision. Mm-hmm. Infants were included. So the sign of the people of God in the New Testament is baptism. And God doesn't change. Salvation doesn't change. So why would it? It's only natural that infants are included mm-hmm. in the new mm-hmm. in baptism. So infants are included, infant baptism. But the mistake, of course, is that Israel, I don't think, is the church in the Old Testament. They're a unbe- temporary, unbelieving picture of the people of God. But that's another discussion. But that yeah. illustrates, I think, the idea that if we start at the wrong starting point, mm-hmm. we're going to end up in a wrong conclusion. So the, in our previous session, we, we dealt with this in great length. If you start at the wrong point, that you're interpreting the new through the lens of the old with regard to Israel... Mm-hmm. In end times, you're going to end up with a very different conclusion. You may not make it to all. <laughs> may not make it. So that's why, I, you know, in our approach to end times is, is, is we're going to look at all these crucial issues mm-hmm. and how you handle things instead of we're not, we're not doing a uh, commentary in the book of Revelation. We're not right. doing that. Right. We're just discussing these crucial issues that are quite important. And that's why on this one, we're discussing the literary structure of the book of Revelation, mm-hmm. which was not by accident. Right. Well, it's interesting. Two, two, two thoughts. Number one, all of this we've been looking at in these chapters are all these sort of symbolic kind of battles and things and bowls and such. That, that can't be taken literally. So then why would I think the thousand years would be literal? Number one. Number two, elsewhere in the New Testament it talks about with the Lord a thousand years is like a day and a day is like a thousand years. So it would strike me, just uh, those two angles, that why would I want to take this thousand year okay. as a literal period of time? Well, it, in all fairness, when when you're referring to Second Peter 3, you mm-hmm. know, uh, a day is like a thousand years and right. a thousand years are like a day, that's a, that's a figure of speech. Right. And we recognize those. But here, and we should just point out, in the mm-hmm. first three verses of Revelation chapter 20. Mm-hmm. Well, it says, I saw an angel coming down out of heaven having the key to the abyss. Is there a literal key? Like, a, you know, there's like a door. And holding, he sees the dragon, right. that the serpent, who is the devil or Satan. Well, Satan's really not a dragon, but he's called a dragon. <laughs> you know, it says he threw him into the abyss right. and locked right. and sealed right. the door. Right. And it's like there's a gate, a door. Mm-hmm. Well, we don't think there's, those things are literal. Yeah. Well, then, what, then it talks about the thousand years. Well, why would if those things are not literal? Sure. Why would then the thousand years be literal? Sure. See, and that's why it is not. Uh, I think our dispensational brothers who are premillennial so often talk about the end times in what I would call slam dunk terms. Mm. I think it's so obvious. Just you know, read my lips. This yeah. is what it says. Right. And I'm saying no. You cannot you know say it's literal, but then ignore the non-literal parts, and only take literal that which works into your system. Mm-hmm. That's, no, that, that's not fair. Yeah. And, of course, I would... We're going to address this a little bit later on, but the book of Revelation is a series of visions. Right. 
And, and we get our concept of visions from the Old Testament, Ezekiel, Zechariah, Daniel, where we see that there are many times they are not literal at all. They're symbolic. Mm-hmm. They teach truth, but through symbolism. Okay, well that's... So the book of Revelation is a series of visions. And so to me, uh, you know, you'll have things like, we, we can discuss this at a later date, you have like the, a star falling into the ocean. Mm. Well, that can't happen. The smallest star is so much greater than the earth. We just obliterate the earth. It can't fall into the ocean. But, as, as you know, we both know, my number two son, Zach, is an animator. And uh, he, you know, for the game Call of Duty, but as an animation, like you watch a cartoon, you see the, you know, the, you know, the, the star can, the sun can fall into a lake. That's not, that's easy to do in animation. That's not real life. But that's animation. Well, that's, it really, when I read the book of Revelation, I much more think of animation, mm-hmm. teaching truth. And also the idea is that all of the imagery primarily all comes from the Old Testament. And so what we do is we need to, the original hearers in the book of Revelation weren't lost because the basic meaning of all this imagery was from the Old Testament. And that's where its basic meaning is found. Of course, now, my point of view as someone who embraces New Covenant theology is what I think is taking place is these visions are using Old Testament imagery to talk about New Covenant fulfillment. And we'll talk about that in detail down the road. But um, that's where we're coming from. Well, you're, So you're not suggesting, to end this conversation now, you're not suggesting then that, that as a good Bible-believing believer, I should I should be reading this Old Testament prophecy and understanding it? Is that what you're trying to imply? Yes, I think you should. <laughs> but we do have to we do have to recognize that when God gave the prophecies in their Old Testament setting, we don't necessarily have all the information. Yeah. Yeah. And that's quite important. Uh, and also that the book of Revelation, if it's a series of visions, uh, I actually... Uh, would expect things to be non-literal, hmm. uh, uh, you know, in, until proven otherwise. I would expect that. So, now, w- w- this is not our purpose right now in this particular session. But the numbers in the Book of Revelation, mm-hmm. I would think, are are all basically uh, figurative, yeah. symbolic. Whereas, let's say, go to First Chronicles. Uh, it's a book of all kinds of numbers, mm-hmm. but they're all literal because it's a book of history. Mm-hmm. So. Like the book of Acts is history. The Psalms is speaking truth in poetic language. So I don't expect to take it literally, right. uh, but it, it communicates truth through poetic imagery. Right. So when we say we take the Bible at its word, we mean we take the Bible as God intended it to be taken. If it's history or straightforward, it's literal. If it's, if it's uh, po- poetry, we right. understand poetic imagery, if it's visions we understand symbolism or imagery that's being used Um, so I think that just, you know, being more faithful to scripture taking it as God intended it, so that will work itself out as we discuss varying issues about end times as always, if you have questions about this particular topic the millennium, uh Feel free to go to our website, ids.org. You'll find some other information there, I'm sure, to help you kind of put the pieces together. Uh, Or if you're in a hurry or you just want to talk to Jeff directly, you can always reach him at... 
you can give me a call on my cell phone, 480-313-8558. And my email address is volker.jeff at gmail.com. Just remember the Jeff is a G-E-O-F-F. Yeah. And as always, thanks for watching. Bye-bye.